we thank you as the choir has labored to show us what it means to be wrapped in the arms of God. Lord, take us to that place, that very secret place, where we can be made like you. Lord, take us to that place where we hear your word clearly, where you speak to us, and we are made better believers because you've met us in that place. Lord, some of us have been doing something so long that we don't know how to quit. We need you to interrupt it, to intervene and to rescue us. Some of us have gotten so hard and cold toward you that we've lost the joy of our salvation. So we don't know your voice when we hear it. And we hear you singing today. God, my prayer is for those who are in that category that you would break the hardness of their hearts. That sin would not be okay. That they would feel the convicting power of the Holy Spirit and weep and run back to that place, that very special place where they first met with you. And then God, for the rest of us who may be weary or tired, my prayer is that this song would ignite revival in our hearts. That we will once again find the strength find the joy, find the love of the Lord as the preeminent thing in our hearts and in our minds. So thank you for this ministry of song. Now, great spirit of the living God, breathe on us. Illuminate our hearts and minds at the preaching of your word. Help us to be sons and daughters that bring you honor and glory and praise not sons and daughters that grieve you. We love you, Lord, and we thank you. In Jesus' name we pray. And all God's people said amen, amen and amen. While you're standing, crack your Bibles to Acts chapter 10, beginning at verse 1. Thank you, choir. Acts chapter 10, beginning at verse 1. The Spirit of the Lord is in this house. Hear the word of the Lord. There was a certain man in Caesarea called Cornelius, a centurion of what was called the Italian regiment. He was a devout man and one who feared God with all of his household, who gave alms generously to the people and prayed to God always. Now about the ninth hour of the day, he saw clearly a vision of an angel of God coming in and saying to him, Cornelius, and when he had observed him, he was afraid and said, what is it, Lord? So he said to him, your prayers and your alms have come up before me for a memorial before God. Now send men to Joppa and send for Simon who is also named Peter for he is lodging with Simon a tanner whose house is by the sea. He will tell you what you must do. And when the angel who spoke to him had departed Cornelius called two of his household servants and a devout soldier 
from among those who waited on him continually. And so when he had explained all these things to them, he sent them to Joppa. Amen. Amen. Today I want to tag this message, a soldier that God could use. You may be seated. A soldier that God could use. It's clear from our journey through the book of Acts that the Holy Spirit is at work drawing people, saving people, and using people to do his work in the earth. Amen. This book, New Beginnings, is all about what God is doing and his great commission plan. And I'm happy this morning about this because it reveals to me that the work of evangelism and discipleship is the work of the Spirit of God. It's not my work, it's God's work. And because it's God's work, God has chosen to use people to reach other people. Now in our text today, we get to look at an unlikely person who is being drawn by God, used by God, and is in the plan of God to save his family and his, uh, those in his circle of influence. This story today reminds me of another story told by the great John Wesley. For John Wesley himself was much like Cornelius. It's said that John Wesley was once a religious man before a born-again man. In other words, he was a church member, he was a minister, he was the son of a minister. John Wesley in college at Oxford belonged to what was called the religious club. And in this religious club, it was organized for the perfecting of the Christian life. Now, Wesley served as a foreign missionary, but even as he preached to others, he himself had no assurance of his own salvation. In other words, he was doing religious things, but he never knew God. It's said that it happened on May 24th, 1738, that Wesley was attending a small Bible study where someone was reading from Martin Luther's, Martin Luther's commentary, rather, on Romans. And it was about that time in the reading of the commentary, Wesley wrote that he felt something begin to warm inside of his heart. God, through faith in Christ, began to save John Wesley. And it was through hearing the reading of the word from the lips of Martin Luther that he heard that God had taken away all his sins and has saved him from the law of sin and death. And instantly, John Wesley knew he had been converted. Now, this is powerful because Wesley attributes that the Wesleyan revival that swept many into the kingdom of God in British society happened after that encounter with the divine God. I like that story about Wesley and Cornelius because it's proof that God can use a soldier in the work of his ministry. I've got three points I'm going to give you today and then I'm going to get on out of your way. As we talk about a soldier that God could use, number one, the points are on the screen, but we want to look at a soldier who's looking for God. 
Number two, we want to look at a soldier who is living for God. And then thirdly, we want to close by looking at a soldier who's listening to God. A soldier who's looking for God, who's living for God, and who's listening to God. If you're there, signify by saying amen. amen. Let's begin verse 1. Now there was a certain man in Caesarea called Cornelius. Cornelius was a centurion of what was called the Italian Regiment. When we come to this verse, family, we first discover that what Luke does is he gives us the profile of the man that God has great plans for or to use in the earth. In other words, Cornelius is a soldier. He's a man, Reverend Brown, who's under authority, with authority, and who understands authority. Cornelius is a soldier who's in charge of a large group of Italian soldiers for Rome. They are what we call an elite band of brothers who are committed to warfare under Caesar. And they're committed to serve under Caesar with their leader being Cornelius. Are you with me here? He's a soldier who's called an satyrian. Centurions were those who ruled large ranks of the Roman army. And it's said to have under him a centurion had at least a hundred soldiers that were committed to his leadership. Now when we look at his profile, we see first of all, he's a man of war, he's a soldier, but he's also one who is a minority living in a different area. Caesarea, the place where he lived, was named after Caesar. Caesarea Philippi, Caesar of Philippi, was the city called, and it was predominantly Jewish. But he was a Gentile soldier occupying a, a Jewish state. Are you with me here? And this is interesting, because as a soldier, he lived like a soldier, behaved like a soldier, walked and talked like a soldier, and was under soldiers' orders from Rome. But he's a soldier that God can use. Can I say some more? He is a soldier who is there to oppress the people, but God has given him a heart for the things of God. And I wrote myself a note here, brothers and sisters, that sometimes God can choose special men to do special things. And when he selects you for a divine task or encounter, it's because God has plans for you. Can I say some more? It's literally like he's a bad boy who's got a heart for God. He's a police that's sent to oppress people, but he's bent toward the things of God. His heart is after God, but his billy club is after heads. Are you with me here? And he is a man that you will look at and say, how could he possibly love God? But God is working on him. And I'm glad today that God is yet calling soldiers to work for him in his service. Can I let my hair down? Right now, God is calling some crips out of Los Angeles. They got a blue rag in their pocket, but their heart is after the things of God. 
Right now, God is dealing with some bulldogs and some Nathaniels. They look like they got a heart for the drive-by, but really they secretly are seeking after God. Am I making sense here? When you look at this text, the first thing you see is, is what it looks like to have a soldier who's looking for God. Can I give you some more? Look at point number two, a soldier who's living for God. First, second thing he does here in Luke is he says he was a devout man. Holy, first he gives you a description of his warrior-like tendencies. Now he's showing you the inner makeup of his heart. Are you with me here? He was a devout man. He was one who feared God. You see that? With all of his household who gave alms or offerings generously to the people. And watch this. And he prayed to God always. Now verse 1 and verse 2 look like they would be oxymorons. Like they don't go together. But what he's trying to show you is that God has got this man's heart. And he is bent after the things of God. Can I say some more? Though he was in the service of Caesar, he was longing to be in the service of the Lord. The text says he was a devout man. Here's what it means. He was an uncircumcised Gentile who had a heart for the Jewish faith. In other words, he was very religious in his activities. Whenever the Jews went to pray, he went to pray. Whenever they went to the temple, he went to the temple. And they went five times a day. Whenever they gave an offering, he gave an offering. Whenever they celebrated the feast days, he celebrated the feast days. He was a man who feared God, and he not, watch this now, not only did he fear God, he taught his whole family to fear God. Y'all ain't in here, so let me paint it for you. He strapped on his gun and his gun belt every day after he going to work. Before he did, he gathered all the kids at the door to pray. He was a Gentile who didn't know God, but he believed that God knew him. And so though he wasn't welcome in the temple, he made his kids get in the chariot and go to the temple. Are y'all listening here? He taught the wife how to pray, how to walk, and how to obey God. And then he had 100 men who was in his regiment following his leadership. And in order to be in his regiment, you had to know who he was worshiping. You had to spend five times a day at the temple with the rest of the Jews. Are you with me here? This man for me models what it looks like to be a biblical man. He was a man who lived his life out of a religious principle. Ah, can I say it like I feel it? He wasn't playing with God. He wasn't in church as a man on Sunday, but on Monday, you know, chasing everything, running around. No, his morals and his convictions and his conduct lined up with who he said he was. When the text says he was devout, it means he was for real about this. His faith was on display and wasn't nobody confused about what Cornelius believed. I hope I'm talking to somebody here today. He was devout. And watch this. Watch this. Not only did he bring his whole household in, but he brought his money in too. To 
text says where your treasure is, your heart is, right? He was so convicted or, or connected to what the Jews were doing that every time they gave, he gave. He gave in alms. And it literally reveals to you how much he spent time in the temple. Because you could only give your offering in the temple. Am I making sense here? So he was, watch this, he was a man who wasn't even a Jew. Who wasn't even allowed to worship with them. But yet because God had his heart, every time they went to worship, he went to worship. And his money, his money from Caesar, he gave back to the Jewish temple. Because he believed in the God that they were worshiping. Can I give you a clue right here? He did all this, Brother Hodges, before he got saved. He's not even a believer yet. But he's so bent and hungry looking after God, he's not only looking for God, he wants to live a life to give to God. Can I pack the car as it? As an unbeliever, he got more sense of what it looked like to be a believer than some believers got after being a believer. Some believers, you got to poke and pry to give that offering to the God who blessed them. Here's a non-believer that knows, hey, that must be a God. I don't know him, but he can have everything I got. He got my life. He got my family. He got my influence. And now he can have my money. That's how I know a man is serious after God. When God got your money, come on, talk to me. When God got your money, when God got your money, God got your heart. Some of you, he got your attention, but he ain't got your pocket. That's how I know he's not Lord of every area of your life. That's the reason why you see the full red sign out in front of the church. It's because we got a lot of people in here. He got your attention, but he ain't got your heart. I'm just preaching about what I'm preaching about. Look, I believe that Cornelius, he got God's attention. Why, Pastor? His lifestyle and his commitment to seeking God's face made him a candidate for God to pursue. See, because, because he had a love for God and the things of God, uh, Brother Alex, he was under the radar of heaven. In other words, uh, he was doing this to try to get to know God. He was a soldier looking for God and a soldier trying his best to live for God. But nobody had come to give and given him instructions on how to do it. Let me give you the third point. A soldier listening to God. Y'all in here with me? Come on, y'all just sang and shouted. Are you in here? Listen to the word, a soldier listening to God. Verse 3, the text says that it was about the ninth hour of the day that he saw clearly in a vision an angel of God coming to him saying, Cornelius, and when he observed him, he was afraid and said, what is it, Lord? So he said to him, your prayers and your alms your offerings, your giving, have come up, watch this now, as a memorial 
before God. Can I unpack this? First of all, the first thing I discovered, Quar, is that God was watching the works of Cornelius. Watching what he do. Second thing, when God gets ready to communicate to this non-believer, he does it because the non-believer was trying to communicate with God. Now, I need to say this right here. Some of you from the old school, and you've heard people say, God don't hear the prayers of non-believers. Where do you get that at? God hear everything that's going on in the earth. Cornelius ain't saved. But he keep going to the temple trying to communicate to God. God's hearing his prayers. In fact, God is so moved with his prayers, his prayers are attached to action. Listen in here. When his prayers came, his giving. No, y'all missed that. I almost fell over. You still missed it. He wasn't just talking to God. He was giving to God. Real prayer is not divorced from action. If it is, you just talking. You ain't saying nothing. I can tell Sister Wilson I love her all I want to, but if I don't show it every now and then, my words are just speaking. Can I press on your toe right here? Some of you are guilty of talking too much. You spend all your life talking to God. But you ain't gave God nothing. He ain't got your mind. He ain't got your heart. He ain't even got your desires. But you pray all the time. And then you tip him when it comes to the offering. This unbeliever got heaven's attention. Because he prayed and he gave. And watch this. I like how Luke writes this in here because we might overlook it. He said it was at the ninth hour. In the Jewish clock or calendar, that was three o'clock in the afternoon. At three o'clock in the afternoon, it's too early to nap. Too early to go to bed, so he wide awake. It was probably his third or fourth time going to the temple that day. That means this was his practice of praying. It was at the three o'clock hour that an angel appeared to him. Right out of of nowhere. He's never had a contact, an encounter with an angel before. So it scares him to death. Can I say some more? Here's the application. Sometimes during our usual times of spiritual formation, God chooses to interrupt or to disrupt your normal practice and procedure for how you conduct business with him. Sometimes he will show up in such a way where a holy reverence and fear will fall upon you and you will know you've had an encounter with God. Am I making sense here? And when he does this, he uses, yes, an angel to disrupt his normal pattern of praying. I like this. Can I back up and just share one more thing about his prayers? 
Here's what I notice about his prayers. First of all, as an unbeliever, his prayers were seen and heard. They were elevated and transported. They, they left earth and they entered into the divine. They were meaningful and meditative. He heard the unbeliever's prayer. Don't you think he can hear the drive-by shooter's prayer? He can hear the man on death row praying? He can hear the little homeless girl, girl prostitute, whatever, praying? God sees everything. That's worth you coming to church. Some of you going to leave here today and do something you ain't got no business doing. Let me hook you up before you even get there. He already see it. Nothing you do goes without God watching. Mama might didn't see it. The highway patrol might didn't catch it. But you're always on the radar of heaven. Come on, sneak us, secret cub hoppers. Secret cannabis car carrying Christians. Secret bar drinkers. Secret B-roll pullers. Everywhere you go, the eyes of heaven are watching you. Where you gonna go that heaven can't see? God is watching you. You can play in here all you want to. But God sees you when you're fronting and you're faking. And he heard Cornelius' prayer. You know what I like about that? God disrupted it again with an angel. Now why is this important? It's important because the Holy Spirit wants to teach us about the ministry of angels. See, we are ignorant when it comes to the things of God. God speaks to us in multiple ways. Through the scripture, through prayer, through the preaching of the word, through circumstances and situations. He also uses angels. Angels are used in the Bible in history, the history of the history of the church to do several things. One, to deal with the judgment of God when it needs to be dealt with in earth. Second of all, to protect the believer from unwarranted trouble that's coming their way. Thirdly, to do combat with demons that want to destroy your life. Angels serve us at the bidding of God. They are divine creatures under authority. And they only operate on the authority that God has given them. They never speak or say anything without God's permission. What a picture. And I wonder if the scripture isn't trying to teach us, brothers and sisters, that we too ought to live lives like the angels. For one day we will be like them. We have something that they don't even have. The indwelling power of the Holy Spirit. We have everything we need to live as soldiers of God on earth doing the bidding of God. So the Christian life ought to look like this. We ought to be the messengers that God can send to unbelievers to bring them good news. That's what you see in the text. Are you listening here? Listen to what he told him in verse 5, and I'm almost through. He says, now send men to Joppa. And sin for Simon, whose surname is Peter. 
you watch what he does. It's very interesting. He says he's living with Simon, a tanner, whose house is by the sea. Send for him because he's going to tell you what to do. Now, this is interesting right here. When I was meditating on this, he says, Cornelius, you a man that's under authority. You recognize orders. Here's your divine order from the God you've been praying to. Go get the preacher. Send somebody to go get him and bring him to you. But he's not any old preacher. His name is Simon. But he ain't the Simon that house he's staying at. There's two Simons in the same house. One is a tanner. That means he dyes leather goods and that's his business. The other Simon is a fisherman. You want the fisherman. You don't want the other one. Ah, somebody missed it. In other words, you want to get the one who's under authority. Just like you under authority. You can't get anybody to handle the message that God's about to give you. Get the one that's under his authority. Because he's a fisher of men. Call him and bring him back. And he's going to tell you what you need to do. You know why I like that? Because you can't hear without a preacher. What God wants to say to the unbeliever, now he's got his attention, he's going to use the preacher. Hey, help me, Holy Ghost. Just a little while. He's going to speak to the one that has been ordained to proclaim the things of God. Secondly, a friend of my library introduced something to me. He said the other reason why he believed he sent Peter from Joppa is because Peter had keys to the kingdom. In other words, at this time in Jewish history, the Jews still had not went to the Gentiles with the gospel. Y'all listening? In Acts, Philip goes to the Samaritans, cousins of the Jews, but nobody goes to the Gentiles. Saul cast the church or got the church to scatter. They went and went in Jewish or Gentile cities, but they never reached out to Gentiles. They only had the faith in their own communities. Are you listening here? Peter had been given the keys at Pentecost to go to the Jews and the Gentiles. But Peter still is reluctant. Hey, help me, Holy Ghost, to have a cross-cultural ministry. So he is stuck in his own prejudices. So God has to shake a soldier who's a Gentile and now send for the Jewish preacher to come back and preach to me what God told you to do back in Matthew 28, 19, and 20. Because Peter got in his heart, he only going to give it to the Jews. I'm going to say what I didn't say at 8 o'clock. And some of y'all today, just like Peter. You got friends that don't look like you. You got friends from other cultures. But you won't share the gospel with them. You only share with people that look like you. 
You only share with people that like what you like. Well, God has made this gospel a universal gospel. This gospel ain't just for the white man, the brown man, or the black man. It's for all men. Am I making sense right here? Peter has the keys. Peter's got to now come back and face what God has told him to do. This is a three-part series. This is part one. Well, next week, we're going to come back and find reluctant Peter, who is waiting in Joppa up on the roof having a siesta. God has to disrupt his sleep with a vision to remind him that he needs to go and serve people that don't look like him. And he got the audacity to tell God no. So what God did, he gives Peter a dream, he shakes, give Cornelius a vision, sends Cornelius with soldiers and a messenger to go and knock on the door that Peter is staying in. So God has to use multiple venues to get his attention so that he will understand the gospel has got to cross the railroad tracks. Can I say some more? How many signs do you need? To know that God want to save your white friends and your brown friends and your gay friends and your drinking friends. He want all of them. Talking about a soldier that God could use. God is going to use Cornelius. All of Cornelius' regiment. All of his household are now waiting on tiptoe anticipation for the preacher to come. When we get back on next week, we're going to find out what he said to him. But I'm going to close when I tell you this. The text says that as Cornelius sent the men off, they went there. And they went there as messengers of God. I like this because the book of Acts is a book about the acts of the Holy Spirit. And God is working with messengers through the book of Acts. But he's not only working with messengers in the book of Acts, he's working with messengers in our church age. See, you are the messenger of God. Tomorrow, Al, Al, every last one of us will be going in a particular direction, passing people who are broken, who are lost, who are wounded, who are looking for God, doing their best, trying to be religious to please God, trying their best to hear God, but they don't know God. And you're the messenger. That means to bring them the good news about where God is and how they can get to know him in a deeper, more intimate way. If you're looking in the mirror this morning, you're saying, not me, pastor. Are you lying? Because you're going to pass somebody in the drive-thru. You're going to pass somebody in the mall. You're going to be passing somebody you work with. And you, God's messenger, I pray today that you be convicted. I know that area. <laughs> yeah, get them, God. Amen. Get them all. May they open their mouths in school. Open their mouths in the grocery market. Open their mouths at the doctor's office. 
Open their mouths going to pay a bill. Open their mouths at the post office. Open their mouths when they're talking to clients and students. That they may be messengers of God. I'm through when I tell you this. God's looking for soldiers that he can use. If you signed up for the Christian faith, you signed up to be a soldier. A friend of my library wrote, this, wrote these amazing facts. I thought I would share them with you. I'm through. I humped off all the rest of it. He says, Wilson, Andrew brought Simon, his brother Peter, to the Lord. And that's the only one we know of that Andrew brought. But Simon in one day brought 3,000 people to the Lord. That's the power of just one. John Stratton, who was a waiter in a restaurant, one day serving the great John Gull, food. He led John to Christ. And John Gull won hundreds of people to the Lord. Ezra Kimball was a simple Sunday school teacher. But in his Sunday school class, he had a student whose name was D.L. Moody. And D.L. Moody rocked two continents with the gospel of Jesus Christ. Just one. See, all you need is one witness. One messenger to tell somebody else. I shared this at the 8 o'clock. I'll share it with you and take my seat. You know, the Bible always introduces you to the multiplication of one. Let me give it to you. One man became the father of many nations. Abraham was his name. One man got the battle at Jericho. Joshua was his name. One man took people who were in bondage to slavery over 450 years and marched them out of Egypt. Moses was his name. One man as the king of Israel called them back to worship in the true and the living God. David was his name. One man became a prophet during the time of the kings and kept their hearts centered on the word of God. Samuel was his name. One man was on assignment to the king in a fallen Babylonian country, did time in the lion's den, and Daniel was his name. One man called Judah back to repentance at a time of rebellion against God, and he was known as the weeping prophet. Jeremiah was his name. One man came at the time of captivity and was willing to be a voice crying in the wilderness and Malachi was his name. One man came through 42 generations, was born of a little virgin girl, walked in swaddling clothes, and Jesus was his name. This same man walked the dusty streets of Palestine, gave sight to the blind, hearing to the deaf, cast out demons, walked on water, calm an angry sea. One man fed 5,000 people with two fish and five loaves of bread. You don't need a whole army, just one man. One man saved all men. One Friday on a hill called Calvary, one man strapped the cross to his back. Let him nail his hands to the cross, his feet to the cross, put a crown of thorns on his head, and one man died that all men might live. Can I say some more? One man 
descended into the hell, whooped the devil, took the sting out of death, took the keys to death, hell, and Hades, rose back from the dead with all power of heaven and earth in his hand. One man sitting at the right hand of God gave us his spirit. One man is going to stand one day and sound the trump of God and the dead in Christ will rise and those of us who are alive and remain shall be caught up together to meet him in the air. I don't know about you, but I'm living my life for one man. I got a heart for one man. Do you know him today? His name is Jesus, my conquering king. Jesus, the father of lights. Jesus, the lamb of God. Jesus, the lily of the valley, the bright and morning star. Jesus, grandpa's walking cane, mama's hope, mama's light in the darkness. Jesus, the prince of peace, the everlasting God, Emmanuel, the Alpha and the Omega. He's the one man that we ought to mimic our light after. Is there anybody here willing to be a soldier that's on mission for God? We got our marching orders. We got the commander in chief himself. Your life should mimic Jesus' life. A soldier who God could use. Let the church say amen.